Well, I get to begin with a photography lesson. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here this Monday morning. I hope you had a good weekend. I did. We went up and saw my in-laws and socially distanced from everyone and Carrollton with them. Uh, and now I'm back. I, you know, so I've got a, a, you've even got a Boston butt on the rec tech outside, which with my big green egg, I would never do that. But what the heck? Uh, it makes it easy. And uh, just a quick check of the radar for you guys here in Georgia, uh, where I am. Uh, you're fairly clear of where that rain last night surprised me. I wasn't expecting it. But if you're in the Rome area, the Dalton area, uh, uh, up in the Dade County area, you've got rain and there's more rain going to blow through. And this is weird. It's all going from south to north. Uh, it's barely moving to the west. Uh, but in any event, uh, if you're if it's raining where you are, make sure your headlights are on. I want to begin with a photography lesson. Yes, I do. Have you ever seen those amazing shots of, uh, I'm thinking of one in particular. It's it's a woman on a sand dune, and probably near Dubai where I grew up, uh, and th there's a full moon behind her, and it looks like she and the moon are the same size and right together. You've seen pictures like this, I'm sure. Uh, where the moon seems so pulled in and, and the person seems like they're almost standing on the moon. You, you know the pictures I'm talking about. Those are shot with telephoto lenses. And I, I have, in the last several years, I've gotten into photography. My wife actually uh, got me to take a photography class and got me a camera in large part because I was cooking so much. She figured I needed a new hobby or we were going to get fat. So now I just take pictures of all the food that I'm cooking. And it, But I took the class. And one of the things I learned about telephoto lenses is that it compresses the scene. So a, a telephoto lens pushes the people in the foreground back and, and pulls forward the stuff in the background. So if you have a good telephoto lens, you can stand at a distance and take a picture of someone and the moon will be behind them and it looks like they and the moon are, are almost touching each other. It's very cool effect uh, with the telephoto lens. Now a wider angle lens that is a, a 12, 24, millimeter a 50 millimeter lens the 50 millimeter tends to be what people view as uh, what your eyeball sees now when you take a picture with a 50 millimeter lens it looks like uh, you looking straight ahead what you see with the perspective you see uh, with a 12 a, with a 14 to 18 millimeter lens that's a very wide lens you can capture the whole sky when i do astrophotography i typically use a 16 to a 24 millimeter lens it captures a very large swath of the sky everything seems very spread out but you can capture all the stars when you get to a thousand millimeter lens a, a telephoto lens uh, a 500 millimeter lens uh, those lenses pull, it's like a binocular, but it pulls all the stuff that's far, far away, very close to you. Now, why on earth would I start the show with a photography lesson? Well, there's a picture that's circulating from the Associated Press as outrage builds, outrage builds that Virginia Beach, Virginia, despite a shutdown order and the beaches are supposed to be closed Massive crowds filled the beach in Virginia Beach. How dare they go to the beach? This is all designed to gin up government outrage so Governor Northam cracks down on the beaches of Virginia Beach. Except there's a problem. The photos that you are seeing in the media, there's one, in fact, I just reloaded Twitter, and, and here's the Virginia pilot has this picture. Uh, taken at 3.42 p.m. by Virginia pilot photographer Caitlin McEwen. It's gone viral. It's a telephoto lens. 
and the buildings seem very close together. And, and if you've ever been to Virginia Beach, you know those buildings actually are pretty spread apart. And if you actually look at the crowds of people on the beach, you will actually note that they're in clusters. They're not all large gatherings of people. They're spread out, but the telephoto lens compresses them. And it's generating media outrage. We're seeing the same sorts of things with pictures of Miami Beach. Like, but hey, uh, have we not paid attention to the science? You know, I, I, I say all the time that when you get new evidence about this virus, you should be able to update your understanding and beliefs. And one of the things that uh, we now know for certain about this virus is that sunlight is a good disinfectant. Remember the president wanting people to swallow UV bulbs or however the media uh, tried to characterize it or inject disinfectant? Uh, UV rays through the sun, the sunlight generates vitamin D. Vitamin D seems to have a, a positive effect on helping people build immunity to this virus. You want people outside in the sunshine or at least you should it was also warm the warmth slows the spread of the virus the the, the warm sunlight kills the virus i'm not under I, I i'm not sure why there should be so much media outrage over this other than the karens of the world have invaded the press corps and they don't want to give an accurate example of, of what's going on. They don't want to give an accurate statement of what's going on. You know, in China, they're locking down again certain cities because the virus is spreading there. And, and those areas where it's spreading have to be more um, moderate temperate climates. The warmer parts of South China aren't seeing the problem. Very similarly here, it turns out Florida and Georgia are doing far better than New York. And yet the media is is fixated on apologizing for Andrew Cuomo and blasting Brian Gimp and uh, and in Ron DeSantis. Now I got to tell you, I was going to start the show with the media fixation over Georgia, but I can't really start the show with that because there's another appropriate tie-in to what is going on here uh, with the reaction to Ben Sass. Ben Sass is the Republican senator from Nebraska. Now, there's one thing you should note about Ben Sass. Uh, if you will recall here, Ben Sass was one of the Republicans who was deeply critical of the president, has been critical of the president, and some of the president's supporters decided they were going to try to oust Ben Sass in the Republican primary in Nebraska. You notice how it didn't get a lot of media coverage there because it was a nothing burger. They they failed to get a credible candidate to challenge Ben Sass. He made it through his primary, and now the Democrats are attacking him. And why are the Democrats attacking Ben Sass in Nebraska? Why is the Associated Press essentially whoring itself out to Democratic talking points? That's what this is. I, I don't mean to offend you by with that language, but that's what this is. The Associated Press is, is, is prostituting itself to Democrats for their talking point stories. This is a this is the story, the headline. This is in the Washington Post, but it's a wire feed from the Associated Press. U.S. Senator Sass criticized for jokes in graduation speech. A joke? What? U.S. Senator Ben Sass's attempt at humor during a speech at a Nebraska high school's online commencement, which included jokes about students' fitness and psychologists, and also blamed China for the coronavirus outbreak, drew strong criticism. 
The Republican senator's speech on Saturday was panned by a Fremont High School board member and his Democratic opponent in the November election. Sass's spokesman, James Wegman, told the old, old Omaha World Herald Sunday the senator was joking. Sass dur- said during the speech, 95% of all gainfully employed psychologists, and I'm serious, there are dozens of them who are gainfully employed, their job is really just to help people forget high school. If you're headed to college, do not, do not major in psychology. That part's not a joke. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Sass, who was unshaven and wore a loosened red tie and white dress. It's a high school graduation. Also said that in life, the graduates would at times be asked to climb giant ropes. If you don't get that joke, talk to your mom and dad. Back in the day when we were a lot fitter than you people are, we used to climb ropes all the way up to the ceiling of the gym all the time. Sass suggested the graduates would remember their senior years at their future reunions as that time when China started a big global pandemic that created the worst public health crisis in over a century and brought the economy to its knees and we had to stay home and everybody was hoarding toilet paper. Near the end of the speech, Sass mixed in some serious encouragement for the students with another shot at China. Nobody knows exactly how we're going to beat this thing. But you know what? We're Americans. We're Nebraskans. We've got grit and we're going to beat this thing. We will bring the economy back. We're going to beat the virus. We're going to have to have a serious reckoning with the thugs in China who let this mess spiral out of control by lying about it. And uh, Michael Peterson, a school board member, said it was racism. It was racism. Now, Democrat Chris Janicek, Janicek, he is Sass's opponent. He was asked by the Associated Press about this. Here's what he said. Ridiculing mental health care specialists, suggesting graduates are lazy slackers, and using the platform to blame China for the pandemic we have now is beyond reprehensible. Y'all, it is increasingly clear that the Republican path to victory in November, by the way, there is terrible polling for the GOP. Let's just deal with it. You can say the polling is wrong. It's not wrong. Uh, and it's it's wide enough that the state level that if the election were held today, Biden would get elected president with the Electoral College. Just understand that we are, we are it's not November. The president has time and this has given him a path forward. The, the Republican polling for the Senate is bad. It is bad for David Perdue. It is bad for Susan Collins. It is bad for Martha McSally in Arizona. It is bad for Cory Gardner in Colorado. It is bad. If the election were held today, Joe Biden would win the presidency and the Democrats would win the Senate. Uh, that's just the truth of the matter. You can dig your head in the sand. You, it's not true. It's not true. The polling is wrong. No, the polling is actually right. And the polling should be our guide because we have until November. And the polling suggests that the Democrats will lose if we make it about China. And the fact that the media and the Democrats are pushing back so aggressively against uh, Ben Sass, blaming China for the pandemic, which is factually true, suggests the path forward for the GOP. I have seen polling, very good polling, that says, matter-of-factly, that if candidates would make 2020 about restoring American supply chain independence for food and medicine, whoever the candidate is, 
that commits to making 2020 about restoring the American supply chain and getting us out of dependence on China for food and medicine will win the election. Any candidate who says their number one issue is going to be restoring American independence in the supply chain will win. Voters are more than 25% more likely to vote for the candidate who says that than not. It is a winning issue for Republicans because it's one Democrats in their identity politics, woke culturalism can't bring themselves to do because it would have to get them to suggest China caused the pandemic. It would get them to suggest that depending on China for things is not good. Look at the NBA. Look at how the NBA could not bring themselves to stand up for Hong Kong. By the way, this morning in the Hong Kong legislature or this evening there, or or I guess it's tomorrow there now, uh, in the Hong Kong legislature, the Hong Kong legislature, uh, pro-democracy members of the Hong Kong legislature have been dragged out by communist forces today. This is a, you know, you get the Democrats to start defending China. It's a good issue for the GOP. Look at what's happened in the last couple of months. The the American media screams racism when everyone points out. I mean, look at the Wuhan virus. The media in January and February was perfectly happy to refer to it as the Wuhan coronavirus. And the moment the president said that, it was racist. The American people understand. The American people do understand that we should not get our generic drugs from China. The American people understand we shouldn't rely on China for our N95 masks, for our surgical masks, for our surgical gowns, for our medicines, for our antibiotics, for our our core parts of our food supply, core parts of our national security. Why are we allowing parts that ultimately wind up in American fighter jets to be made in China? This is a huge issue for the GOP. It really is. Look at the reaction to the attack on Ben Sass, who is one of the most decent people in politics you'll ever meet. He's so decent, in fact, that he sometimes winds up disappointing people because of his decency. He's being attacked for telling high schoolers that China unleashed a global pandemic. That is a fact. It is a certain fact. It is an indisputable fact. We know the Chinese covered it up. We know the Chinese stalled telling the world while China bought up the world supply of uh, personal protective equipment. We know that China lied about uh, its knowledge of human-to-human spread until it was beginning to spread around the world. We know that China then uh, bought up a bunch of equipment from other countries and wouldn't send it back unless they were paid more money. We know that China then tried to ingratiate itself with Western powers by sending tests for the coronavirus that were flawed. We know China did all of these things. We know China engaged in a cover-up. We know the virus came from China. We know China lied about that. We know Chinese officials were first willing to call it the Wuhan coronavirus and now are blaming the United States. We know all of these things and yet the Democrats and their helpful friends in the media can't help but say it's racism to point it out. They can't help but say, oh, you're trying to distract from President Trump's flaws by saying the virus came from China. No, we're pointing out the truth, and they can't do it. And we know that our antibiotic supply and our generic drug manufacturing supply, most of that comes from China. The Republicans have a real in for 2020 if they make it about our energy independence and our um, medical supply independence and our supply chain independence from China. You know how I know that this is an issue? Apple is looking at moving parts of its supply chain manufacturing from China to India.
a, a, the, the most expensive company on the planet, the first trillion dollar company on the planet, would not be doing that if they didn't realize there's an issue there. This is an issue the GOP can win, and it's won the Democrats because they've been held hostage by woke, woke cultural warriors. It's incapable. They're incapable of running on this. The GOP needs to get its game in order and go forward with this issue and watch the Democrats and the media melt down. Y'all, I, I need to apply if you have children with you because <laughs> I just saw this story. Oh, I, let, let, I, let, I will um, uh, I, I will be a professional host and tone this down in case they're children with you so you don't have to turn away. South Korea's a South Korean football team is apologizing for using <clears throat> adult dolls to fill stands. K-League club FC Seoul said the dolls used to make stadiums look less empty had been ordered inadvertently after a misunderstanding. A professional football team in South Carolina, in South, South Carolina, <laughs> South, South Korea, and understand we're talking soccer here. South Korea has apologized after mannequins it used as substitute fans during a match at the weekend turned out to be, well, uh, adult novelty dolls. The, the K-League club FC Seoul said the dolls, which had been dotted around the stands, currently off limits to supporters due to the coronavirus outbreak, had been ordered inadvertently after a misunderstanding. How do you misunderstand that? Was their team named the Gamecocks? I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So, yes, the stadium was filled with these dolls. They're, no, it wasn't a South Carolina. It was South Korea. It was not football. It, it, was, it, was, it was soccer. Soccer, I guess, football, I should say. Um, yes, yes, that's right, friends. They filled the whole stadium with these adult mannequins. <laughs> Hang on, let's see the picture. Um, oh well, they did. They they were wearing face masks. <laughs> they had their mouths open. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's right. They they had to wear face masks because the adult novelty doll mannequins' mouths were open. <laughs> okay. I, I I will blame a member of my team for sending <laughs> that story. Now, see, I you you can have conversations with your children now that you, but I. I I toned it down enough for all of you so we can move on to, is it hot in here or is it me? Okay, when we come back, the Democrats, you know, here's another reason the Republicans need to uh, make this an issue about China because the Democrats are now very clearly going to make the economic downturn the president's fault. More and more Democrats are out there saying to blame the president for the economic downturn uh, which distracts from the fact that we're dealing with a global pandemic, and it was the Democrats who were most vocally demanding the president shut the nation down. Uh, if they're going to turn the tables on that, 
the GOP needs to fight aggressively, and one of the best ways to fight aggressively is to point out that uh, the Democrats would rather blame the president than blame China for this virus coming, and the Republicans at least have truth on their side on this. It's me. It's me. Welcome. You can call in 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, and you know what? Let's go to the phone. Let's go to Rob in Atlanta. Rob, welcome. Hey, how are you doing, Eric? I'm good. How are you? Great. Hey, I just saw something that uh, I'm on this uh, political forum online, and I see a lot of articles, and I saw something that I haven't seen addressed anywhere in the news, and I said I better call someone who knows a whole lot more about this than me. But apparently uh, the DNC communications director, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Social, uh, uh, you know, Hosea, Social. something like that, she was – Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. But apparently she was on Fox News and uh, Bill Hemmer she was speaking to, and she said something about that the convention had to happen because they are not officially nominating Joe Biden. And I was like, what? Yeah. So, I, you know, I so I got the clip pulled up. This, this is bad when we can listen to it together. Hang on real quick. I mean, there's a real possibility that the convention does not happen or it happens in a virtual sense. Is that correct? Well, as of today? Well, first of all, our convention has to happen because... We um, are not officially nominating Joe Biden in order to take Donald Trump. So that's what she said. Now, let me make sure I, right. I bring my volume back down so we don't blast our eardrums when I play sound again. OK, so this is easy to explain. She she screwed it up. Um, Joe Biden is not actually the Democrats nominee uh, by law until he is officially nominated at and voted for at a Democratic convention. And until that moment happens, he can't get federal matching funds. So he he doesn't have the money to combat the president right now, nor does the Democratic Party. Because remember that the it, people on their tax form can check money for federal matching funds for presidential campaigns. That money is not allowed to go to the Democrats and Joe Biden until a Democratic convention, at which time he's formally nominated and voted for. So if they don't have the convention Biden isn't officially the nominee, and the Democrats can't officially get the federal matching funds. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. I just want to make sure because I yeah. said I, someone could read a whole lot more into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like what she's saying is that even at the convention, they're not officially nominating Biden to take on Trump. But uh, she screwed it up. But then she apparently in the last couple of weeks has been having a, a whole – she's been swallowing her foot wholesale – uh, several times in the last couple of weeks, but that's what it's about is, is yeah, maybe they need a new, the Democrats clearly need a new spokesman. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Thanks very much for the phone call. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Yeah, you know, people miss that. Uh, this is why uh, the, the, the Trump campaign has an opportunity here. The Democrats can't get, you, you know, on, on your federal tax form, there's a little check mark where you can contribute, I think it's $3, to a federal presidential matching fund. And what happens is that the candidates who agree to certain limits on funding, which the campaigns do, they then get money from the federal government that matches uh, that in equal amounts. And the candidates for both parties have typically relied on this taxpayer subsidy. And people don't realize it. Uh, I refuse to check the form. I don't want the federal government giving my money to political candidates. But a lot of people do. 
And what happens is uh, the federal government gives money to the campaigns. And typically, like in uh, 2004 is the best example. The Republicans dragged out their convention. And so the Democrats uh, took the bait and the Democrats delayed their convention. And the result was that the Democrats couldn't get the federal matching money. And George W. Bush had such a stockpile of money. John Kerry was ahead in the polls, and uh, George W. Bush beat the snot out of him to the extent that uh, Kerry, by the convention, had no rebound, and he didn't have the money to respond. And Bush wound up winning with over 50% of the vote. And I think the Trump campaign has got to be considering something on that. Uh, But that's what she was on. But this is a number of people have been talking about this and and. Uh, I, I don't know that the Democratic spokeswoman is is the best and the brightest that the Democrats have, but she is where they are right now. Now, I, we need to talk about the economy here because this all plays into it directly. Uh, the former PIMCO CEO was on Fox, and I want to play this audio for you. So it will get brighter in the sense it'll get bad at a slower rate, but we should not forget how bad this picture is. With the additional 3 million, Chris, that is 36 million people have signed up for, on jobless claims for in eight weeks. That's one quarter of our labor force. So it's an enormous shock. So the consistent forecast from the White House is of a sharp, steep, quick downturn to be followed in a V-shape by a sharp, quick rebound. Here is President Trump on that this week. We're going to do well in the fourth quarter, and I think next year, with all of the stimulus, all of the things we've done, I think we're going to have one of the best economic years we've ever had. Do you see a V-shaped recovery as the White House is predicting that the economy is going to come back as quickly and as sharply as it went down? I sure hope so, um, but I think it's uncertain. And it's uncertain because both the journey to next year and what next year looks like are uncertain. So rather than think of letters, think of a pendulum, Chris. We were operating in a normal world as you and I defined it. We then swung all the way on the other side to a lockdown. And now we're going to swing back and forth trying to find where the new equilibrium is. So it's not going to be a, a neat V. It's going to be more like a series of Ws, if you like. But think of a pendulum swinging. And we don't know the magnitude of the swings. And we don't know the duration of the swing or the settling point. So it really is an uncertain outlook. Um, <clears throat> where to begin here? We don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, and the reason we don't know what's going to happen is because we don't really know the vectors of this virus. We're in. There are reports in China that certain Chinese cities are going back on lockdown because the virus has begun spreading again, which is actually really concerning. Uh, but, 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 keep this in mind. Uh, the, the Chinese also have shown along the way ruthless incompetence in their ability to contain the virus. So what's going to happen here? Uh, We don't know, but there are actually really good signs that the economy is starting to rebound. Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve chair, says he it actually does look like uh, we may see some rebound. Now, what's happening out there, though, 
is that a number of Democrats have decided to start making this about Donald Trump. And this goes back to, to what I was saying earlier with the Democrats in China. They can't bring themselves to blame China for the situation. They cannot bring themselves to note that uh, the Chinese caused a lot of the problems. The problem, however, is that if the economy does begin to rebound, the president's going to take credit for it. And polls show, even the Reuters Ipsos poll, which is a real credible pollster, and shows Joe Biden in the lead with such a lead that it would overcome an electoral college disadvantage. But even with all of that, the polls show a majority of Americans, like 52% of Americans, believe that Donald Trump would handle a recovery better than Joe Biden. You had 52% of the country in a country as divided as we are that says the president would handle recovery better than Joe Biden. That's pretty significant. If the economy starts to rebound, the president gets credit for it. So what you're having happen right now are you're seeing more and more progressive activists and people associated with Barack Obama, by the way, start blaming the president for the economy. I, I saw uh, one of the, the uh, progressive activists who was affiliated with the Obama campaign this weekend tweeting out that uh, Donald Trump wrecked the Obama-Biden economy. Notice, number one, they can't bring themselves to point out it was China that did it. They can't bring themselves to do it. That's, again, why I think the president needs to go on a blame China thing. And, hey, you know what? When the media and the Democrats say, oh, the president is trying to distract from his own failures by blaming China. No, we can really say, no, 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 it really was China. And we'll be able to separate, by the way, the, the, the meat from the pack, uh, the, the meat from the pack, the, 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 um, the, 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 the truth from the lies, the, the real honest brokers from the liars, when members of the media stand up and say, you know, actually it was China. China did have something to do with it. We'll be able to distinguish between the honest brokers and the press. And there aren't very many and we'll all see it. And the American people will see it as well. You know, one of the things that just going back full circle, um, maybe I should not have grilling stuff on my screen. I was looking during commercial break at a, at a wireless meat thermometer for my grill. Nonetheless, I digress. One of the things that we saw in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was president was the Soviets subsidized a vast array of enterprises within the United States and in many cases did so surreptitiously. Take, for example, the environmentalist movement. Have you ever heard them say that environmentalists are watermelons? Uh, I, I've heard this phrase for years. Uh, it, it's it's fallen out of fashion in the last 10 years or so, but even as a kid, I would hear adults talk about environmentalists tend to be watermelons. They're green on the outside and they're red on the inside. Uh, they are communists on the inside. When the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, when the Berlin Wall fell, uh, for years, the Soviet Union, we know from records in the Soviet archives, were propping up a variety of agitator groups in the United States, including a lot of environmentalist groups uh, that wanted to, to support the nuclear freeze in the United States, that wanted to shut down nuclear power plants, that wanted to increasingly disrupt capitalism in the United States. Many of those groups had been fronts for the Soviets. And when Soviet subsidy collapsed, many of them went into environmentalist groups propped up by American left-wing elite uh, who disliked capitalism on principle. I got to wonder how many people in the United States are on the payroll of China. 
I've got to wonder how many institutions in this country are so philosophically opposed to the American ideal that they're sympathetic to China to begin with and don't actually even need subsidy from China because they're in on the game to begin with. I suspect there are more than many of us care to admit or acknowledge. And these are all issues on the campaign trail. You know, again, I, I mentioned polling that I saw last week that a majority of America, I, I should not say that a quarter of Americans are more likely than not will vote for the candidate who believes American independence from the Chinese supply chain is job number one. And my belief is the polling is right. And my belief is Republicans in 2020 need to make that their campaign issue. And it ties into the economy as well. You know, the Democrats are sending mixed messages right now. They want to blame the president for the economy while also not allowing people out of their house. It almost does look political, doesn't it? I said last week, in fact, I got all sorts of heat last week for pointing out that there are a whole lot of Democrats who make it sound like they want to keep the keep you sheltered in place until Joe Biden becomes president. And now more and more people are saying it. Last week I was getting blown up and this week everybody's saying it. Because it's true. They understand if the economy rebounds, given the Reuters Ipsos polling, and by the way, this polling is consistent with Gallup. Reuters Ipsos did the most polling on it. That's why I want them to have the credit. But Gallup and CNN and others are all showing the same thing, that the president, even voters who don't necessarily like the president, are more willing to say he would do a better job if the economy begins rebounding, steering a rebound. That's why the Democrats can't have an economic rebound. They've got to keep the economy crushed. They've got to keep you in your house, despite what the science now says. I mean, you've got people for Pete's sakes. It is warming up. We know that vitamin D produced by your body through direct exposure to the sun is actually a good thing to keep the virus at bay and to boost your immune system. And the Democrats want you in your house away from the sun. The Democrats do not want you outside in the fresh air. Uh, for how many thousands of years have we determined that fresh air is a good thing for your health? And now the Democrats, no, 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 you got to stay inside. You can't go outside and get fresh air and sunshine. That'd be bad. Why? Because they don't want you to get outside and have the economy start growing again. This it, It's really bad where we went from last year the democrats were trying to talk down the economy to this year the economy is ruined for china and you're not allowed to say it you're a racist if you point out that china is the cause of it you got to blame the president that's all the democrats will allow us blame the president which is a bunch of nonsense and yet that's what they want we're going to have to deal with this issue and I got to tell you, I think the Republicans have a path forward on this, but they better take it and take it quick. And when the media reacts and there's backlash from the press and the Democrats that this is racism by blaming China, the GOP is going to have the American people on their side because the American people, you pull them, they understand intuitively that China caused this. So if the GOP spends their entire campaign season on getting away from Chinese dependents and pointing out that the Democrats and the media will not accept criticism of China, not only does it undermine the, the public's trust in the media, which is at an all-time low to begin with, but it also truly separates the Republicans from the Democrats on a very core issue. Look, when the state legislature reconvenes, you're going to want to make sure you have texted ARMY to 33777 because there are going to be some fights on our hands over hate crimes legislation, tax increases, and a bunch of other stuff. Thankfully, we've got Jeff Duncan and, and Brian Kemp to, to stand up to the speaker. 
but we're going to need to stand up as conservative activists, and I want to make it as easy for you as possible, but the way you do it is you text ARMY to 33777. Uh, now, I want to go back to the phones. Uh, let's see. Who am I going to go to next? I'm going to go to Gene calling from Macon. Welcome to the program. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I uh, didn't see you in church yesterday. I assume you watched the, the sermon yeah, You, you know, we actually watched it this morning. Oh, good. Uh, what I was calling about is I, I look at Kelly Leffler's advertisements on TV, and I like her, and uh, I think she's voted in the right, uh, done all the right votes and everything. But she is emphasizing her generosity, the fact that she uses her plane for public purposes, that she gives her salary to charities as well as other uh, private contributions. And she can do that whether she's a senator or not. And somebody needs to give her uh, a heads up and say, you know, that's not going to ring the right bells. I'm glad you said that. I, I'm, I have seen one of the more recent ads, and in fact, um, I, I thought it was a good media thing for her that she used her plane to bring those people home, but dragging it into an ad campaign makes it look opportunistic. And I, I'm still a believer in private charity as opposed to bragging about it. And also, I, I don't know that it's really a – a way to distinguish because the Collins campaign has an easy response to this that uh, Doug Collins gives gives to charity as well, but he's not going to brag about it and use it as a campaign opportunity. And I, I just her campaign just seems off the rails and I wish her the best. I, I've gotten to know her. I like her, but her campaign doesn't seem like it knows how to run a campaign for for Senate and they need to find some way to distinguish her other than that. So. Yeah, I agree with you, and, and I suspect, uh, well, I know that people from her campaign listen to this, so maybe they will be able to, to find it and, and realize that she's got some problems. One of the things that I think the Leffler campaign needs to do, th- thanks, Gene, for the phone call. Uh, man, I, I'm ready to start seeing people back in church. Um, one of the things that I think the Leffler campaign needs to do is to have a real sit down on who she is and then let her be that person. And my continued disappointment and dissatisfaction with that campaign has everything to do with the fact that they seem to be protecting the candidate more than they should. Now, you know, I've mentioned this before. I know a campaign consultant who was running a race uh, in the Pacific Northwest and their candidate was a bumbling idiot. Now, be careful here. I'm not calling Leffler a bumbling idiot at all. I'm just using this as an example. Their candidate was actually a bumbling idiot. Uh, but they knew the other side wasn't really aligned ideologically with their votes. So they filmed a series of ads for their candidate and then sent him to Hawaii. He was very wealthy. He could go to Hawaii. He had a condo in Hawaii and he stayed there. He didn't debate. He didn't appear on the campaign trail. They did volunteer door-to-door walking. Uh, they did ads. Uh, he called into radio programs, and he won. And they kept him off the campaign trail because they knew the other side wasn't great, and they knew how to distinguish, and and they they knew that their candidate had certain flaws and that they needed to overcome. Leffler's flaws are not that she's a bumbling idiot. Leffler's uh, flaws are that she is is super wicked smart. 
And in being super wicked smart, uh, Leffler, and also being a billionaire or a multimillionaire, at least, uh, she may not necessarily connect with the common folk. I have heard more than one person say uh, if she was picked to relate to women in suburban Atlanta, how are uh, suburban soccer moms going to relate to a, a, a multimillionaire woman who married another multimillionaire and flies on a private plane? And I, honestly, I, it, it's, it's rather rude in phraseology, but it's also on point. I think there's a way forward, though, for Leffler. If I were the Leffler campaign, I would get her out on the campaign trail. And I realize uh, we are we are in a time of coronavirus, but she can make a big deal that she's not afraid. The economy's reopened. It's time to get out there. And it is time to see people. She supported Brian Kemp in reopening. She can do so responsibly. Uh, but there are ways for her to do it. Uh, Doug Collins, I, I think it's very striking. Every sign I've seen of Doug Collins has been in someone's yard, and every sign I've seen for Kelly Leffler has been in a right-of-way. And, you know, signs don't matter. It, it, so where I am, uh, I, I've seen a number. In fact, the local sheriff has a re-election. He's got several billboards up. Billboards, uh, th they make the candidate feel good because the candidate can see, see themselves in the billboard, but billboards really aren't that great of a, a way to... Uh, campaign because they're a waste of money. Everybody sees them, but they get used to them and they drive by. Seeing a sign in someone's yard is more impactful. Seeing a sign in someone's yard is more meaningful because that's a vote. Seeing a sign on a right-of-way like a billboard really doesn't matter, but seeing a sign in someone's yard, that's a voter who lives there. And it has impact with your neighbors to see them. And, and Leffler's campaign needs to figure that out. They need to figure out a way to get her out there and they need to figure out a defining message for her. And I don't know that they've done that yet. And Collins, of course, has one because he's been there for a while and people know him. Well, this is kind of funny seeing things go full circle. Uh, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, Tommy John. Uh, and it, I, I want to welcome him. And it's, it's funny that things go full circle because I first heard about him on a podcast and decided I was supporting a friend who had a podcast and would order them and use his discount code and actually wound up liking them enough uh, that I now regularly get Tommy John. Uh, it is underwear and it is great underwear. And you know, you're working from home. They've got all sorts of great underwear and they've got great ready to wear stuff. And right now you can shop Tommy John's Memorial Day sale and get up to 30% off site wide. You treat yourself an upgrade to a few pairs of Tommy John underwear and the softest, most breathable fabrics you've ever worn. Tommy John obsesses over every little detail and stitch by using proprietary fabrics that perform like nothing you've ever worn before. All of their loungewear and legging are built for next-level comfort. I can attest to this as someone who actually has been wearing this stuff for a while, uh, even before they were a sponsor. And it, it is, again, kind of funny because I decided I would support them and buy from them to support a friend's podcast and now became a regular in my household. And right now, you can shop the Memorial Day sale at TommyJohn.com and get up to 30% off site-wide with code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. That's ERIC. For up to 30% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com. See the site for details and try it for yourself. Do like I did. You can support the podcast by buying from them, and then you'll keep buying from them because it really is great. Uh, TommyJohn.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Rainy in parts of the state today, and it looks like we're going to get rain throughout the state today at different points. So 
Uh, just just be careful out there, and then it's going to cool down, and then it's going to warm up again. Who knows? We'll all be sick, but maybe it's washing the virus away. I don't know. I want to start out with a phone call uh, because this is directly relevant to some of what's happening out there. So I want to go to Paul in Rome. Welcome to the program, Paul. Hey, Eric. Hi there. Uh, what's going on? Well, I was, well, I was curious about the uh, port authority and such down in, at least in Georgia. Um, automotive manufacturers, back before coronavirus hit, their demand was up around 1300 a day because, they, you know, you work in the 24 hours a day shift. Well, now they've cut back. Um, are, and their supplies are all stuck in the port. Are mm-hmm. they going to be – and they're incurring detention fees, dunnage fees for all those radios, tires, headliners, whatever that yeah. go into the car. Are they going to be waived those fees? Uh, you know, I don't know. And I get the sense that a lot of people don't know. Uh, the federal government, I was trying to research. I knew your call was coming up, and I've been during the commercial break looking. And I can find requests that fees be waived, but no certainty that the fees are going to be waived, uh, which is really problematic. I would expect there will be federal legislation uh, to deal with the issue, but it looks like in a lot of cases, and by the way, we're not alone in this. Uh, when you start Googling on this and, and start doing research, a bunch of countries are trying to figure out what to do. Uh, India, for example, uh, is requesting that ports waive fees, but they're not mandating it. Uh, and in the U.S., there are lots of requests that fees be waived, but then uh, the ports are like, well, we gotta we got to maintain ourselves. How are we going to maintain ourselves if we don't get the fees? So I suspect what's going to happen is we're going to get another bailout. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Unfortunately for our manufacturers, and and thanks very much, Paul, for the phone call. Uh, Unfortunately, this gets into a larger issue here of the great unknowns out there of what's going to happen with the economy and and prices are coming down. Uh, Japan now, the the Japanese statistics show it is in a second quarter of recession. I suspect we're going to find out for sure the United States is in a recession or worse uh, when our economic data eventually comes out for our second quarter. Uh, Things are just not good. And you do have a pileup of stuff in the port in Savannah right now that can't get out because people aren't buying. Do, do they go back to the manufacturer? Do, does What gets happened? Nobody has the answer for this stuff. There is so much unknown about the virus and so much unknown about the economic fallout from the virus. No one really has a sense of things. And uh, one of the interesting things now is uh, the economic infatuation the media has with Georgia, the uh, irrespective of the port situation in Savannah and the Jacksonville port and, and others, there's this growing media facet with what's happening in Georgia. Uh, uh, Let me me give you a couple of stories here. There are two, one from CNN and one from the Washington Post. Here's the headline in CNN. Three weeks after opening, Georgia business owners chart their own course forward. All eyes were on Georgia three weeks ago as the state became one of the first to allow some businesses to open their doors, welcoming customers back after weeks under a coronavirus lockdown. At the time, many business owners who spoke to CNN were conflicted as they tried to balance their economic interests with the safety of their staff and customers. Some opted to stay closed until they felt it was safer. Do I think it was a little early? Yes, in the grand scheme of things. Cindy Shearer, owner of Atlanta restaurant Pig in the Pearl, told CNN, But I liked having the choice. They did, didn't they? Shira started curbside takeout on May 1st. But last weekend, she opened the restaurant's patio. 
Right now, they're doing carry-out and serving customers through a window. She lets them sit on her patio, but she's yet to have dine-in service in part because she's trying to gauge and respect her customer's level of comfort. As of Friday, Georgia had more than 36,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus, but keep that in mind, those are cumulative cases, not current cases. More than 1,500 people have died since reopening late last month. Georgia has not seen a spike in coronavirus cases, Johns Hopkins said, but there also hasn't been a significant decrease in new case counts. Georgia's rate of new cases has been trending unsteadily downward in recent days. The state averaged 669 new cases a day over a seven-day period that ended May 13th, down about 6% from last week, and local officials are still urging caution. Georgia businesses are taking it very seriously, says Chris Clark, the president and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. Over the weekend, he said business owners have been very slow, methodological, asking lots of questions, taking time to make out a plan. But those who spoke to CNN are just happy to be back at work. When he reopened last month, Eric Greeson of Jenkins Barbershop in Douglasville, 20 miles west of Atlanta, expressed some hesitation at the fact Governor Kemper's opening plan didn't have the backing of President Trump. But ultimately, Greeson felt he had no option but to reopen his family business. He told CNN he's hanging in there. Business is actually above average. He's picked up more clients. After the lockdown, we needed it. We really did. Now, here's a, here's a uh, new uh, Washington Post headline. This feels great, and great is italicized in the headline. A preview from Georgia about how America might reemerge from the coronavirus, eating, drinking, touching, and throwing caution to the wind. Do you get the subtext there? The, the subtext is, oh, yeah, it's going to start spreading again in Georgia. Just you wait. They're rooted against us, folks. Alpharetta, Georgia. The sky was blue. The sun was shiny, was rising. And as the death toll from the coronavirus continues to soar across much of America, the fountain switched on in Avalon, a development of restaurants and shops in a wealthy corner of suburban Atlanta. It was time for life to resume, Governor's Georgia, Georgia's governor had decided, so a masked worker swept the threshold of Chanel. A clerk brushed off windows at Fabrique that had gathered dust. A gardener fluffed pink roses and planters along the sidewalk where signs on doors said what so many had been waiting to hear. Open, read one. Welcome back, read another. Yay, read another, as a great American experiment got underway in a place promising the luxury of the modern South with none of the death. Versions of this pledge are now being made all over the country as stay-at-home orders are being lifted, businesses are opening, and millions of Americans now find themselves free to make millions of individual decisions about how to calibrate their sense of civic duty with their pinup desires for the old routines and indulgences of life. In this grand gamble, Georgia has gone first, with Governor Brian Kemp dismissing public health experts who've warned that opening too soon could cause a catastrophic surge of deaths, placing his faith instead in the citizens of Georgia to make up their own minds about what risks and sacrifices they were willing to accept. God bless, he'd said as he gave the order to reopen hair salons, nail salons, massage parlors, tattoo shops, restaurants, and retailers across the state. The order would be supported in the days ahead with data 
on an official Georgia website claiming that confirmed cases in the state's hardest-hit counties were in steady decline since the reopening. The claim would turn out to be erroneous, and Kemp would issue an apology. But such details were not on many minds in Avalon, where a middle-aged man calibrated his way into a Starbucks, decided to stand mask-free before a 60-year-old barista nervous on her first day back at work. Venti dark with cream and 12 sugars, he breathed cheerfully then headed outside into a glorious spring day. It was also orderly in these first post-lockdown moments in Avalon, a place that had epitomized the rewards of upward mobility. Since opening in 2014, a date chiseled into the stone pillar at the entrance. Avalon had a long boulevard with a green central plaza. It had fountains. It had wide sidewalks and trees strung with lights. It had fresh impatience and sculpted shrubs and music floating out of a hidden speaker, a dreamscape of suburban aspiration. <sighs> if you're just tuning in and you're wondering, this, this is in the Washington Post an extended profile of Georgia reopening. And it is dripping with contempt for the right of citizens to make up their own mind about things. Along Avalon Boulevard, People were clustering at restaurants for their first dinners out. And at one of them, every table inside and outside was full. And people with done hair and done nails gathered hip to hip at the entrance to put in their names. They waited around the bar. They spilled out onto the sidewalk and sweating masked waiters tried to weave around them with cocktails and trades of food. And out on the patio, two couples were talking about how they decided it was okay to come out for dinner. Okay not to wear a mask. Okay to share a plate of hummus. Okay not to worry about spreading and catching the coronavirus. Not here in Avalon. This is, I mean, this is, this is disaster porn is what this is. This is waiting. I mean, the entire thing is just dripping with contempt for people uh, making their own decisions. And that's kind of what's going on altogether. You know, there's this strain of thinking on the right right now about common good conservatism. I'm deeply skeptical of common good conservatism because who, who sets the common good? I, I do believe that individuals should be able to live out their own lives and determine for themselves what is in their own good interests. And then in working for their own good interests, they wind up benefiting the community. You don't set the community's good interests and then tell individuals what to do. You allow individuals to set their own good interest and their own good interest then flows into the community and improves the community because they in improving their lives consequently improve their community. And the press here is joining with some of these people, but their common good is all authoritarianism. The governor lets you decide. For, how dare the governor of Georgia let you decide for yourself how to live your life? How dare the governor let you come outside without a mask on? The whole thing is just dripping with contempt. You know and I know this is true. You know and I know that if we see an uptick in cases in Georgia, the media will rush to blame Brian Kemp. It'll be an I told you so moment. That's why no one's apologizing. 
that's why no one's really coming out and 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 saying that maybe Kemp got it right because they want the I told you so moment. They want to blame Brian Kemp. And deep down, they're seething that many of these reporters stuck in D.C. and New York still in shutdown. They're jealous. One, they believe the virus is going to spread. And two, there's a level of jealousy there. They don't like it that these other states are opening up. They cannot acknowledge that New York screwed it up. They cannot acknowledge that it was not Donald Trump, but Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio who screwed things up. They can't bring themselves to acknowledge it. And they don't like the fact that Brian Kemp and Ron DeSantis are letting people get on with their lives and having the audacity, the audacity to let people decide for themselves what to do. They don't like it. You know, again, this goes back to this common interest conservatism. That's why I'm skeptical of it, because the, 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 the common the common goodwill, the common interest uh, of the, the, the common good theory always leads to authoritarianism. It's always someone else determining what is in the common interest of society and imposing it on people who may or may not want it. That's why I'm skeptical of conservatives going down this road. It is something that comes from the left, and we see it in this reporting from the Washington Post that that it, it, this is this is not in the common good. Letting people decide for themselves how close to stand to each other and whether or not to wear a mask is not in the common good. We should be ashamed of them. We should shun them. We should shame them. That's what this reporter from the Washington Post seems to be doing here. Going to a rich section of Atlanta and say, oh, those rich white people in North Atlanta, they're going to cause the virus to spread. Maybe they will. But there's so much we don't know about the virus. We needed to shelter in place to flatten the curve, and we did. That's what everyone said. That's what everyone agreed on. Flatten the curve. Stay home so hospitals can get geared up and not be overwhelmed. Well, hospitals geared up. They weren't overwhelmed. We flattened the curve. We should come outside. And instead, the media wants to shame everyone and keep them inside. It's almost if they don't want the economy to rebound at all. They don't even want to try. We know that we're not going to have a vaccine anytime soon. Why is it then that they don't want to let people exercise common sense? It's almost as if they think the economy rebounding might be a bad thing. Why? Why would it be a bad thing if the economy rebounded? You want more good news for the state of Georgia? I've got some. Welcome. It is Eric here, Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you want to join me, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. new jobs coming to the metro Atlanta area. Microsoft is going to make a $75 million investment and create 1,500 new high-tech jobs uh, in West Midtown Atlanta. Now, here's the cool thing here. Um, they are not bringing people in. You know, that was part of the problem with Amazon is Amazon wasn't going to hire Georgians for the job. Amazon was going to bring people in from Washington state, just bring a bunch of secular atheist hipsters from, from Seattle to make Atlanta even more liberal than it already is here. Microsoft is actually going to hire people in the state. Now, this is really good news for the state. It creates jobs at a, at a point of economic downturn. It will create jobs. Uh, they'll be well-paying jobs. It'll be a $75 million investment. But this highlights something else here. We as a state still need to figure out a way to boost rural Georgia. 
and uh, engage in technological infrastructure for the state of Georgia. We need to figure out a way to get this done. And, you know, one of the things I, you know, we've got the film tax credit in the state where uh, the money that uh, Hollywood spends in the state, uh, the, it's offset with a credit. Uh, and so they don't have to pay taxes and they can sell the credit to other companies. And I'm wondering if we should do something like a rural infrastructure credit in the state. And by the way, I'm just talking off the top of my head. I haven't even thought this through. Literally just, it, it sprung into my head like Athena out of Zeus. <laughs> um, I, but I, I do wonder, uh, could you allow businesses in the Metro Atlanta area to contribute money to a fund that then offsets their taxes. And that fund is then used to incentivize companies uh, building out infrastructure in rural Georgia. I I don't know how it would work. I I have no idea. But there are plenty of smarter people than me out there who could could think this up and try to come up with a Hollywood film tax credit for uh, rural Georgia. I, I think about Wilkinson County a lot. Uh, my, my son was asking me the other day when I was a lawyer, he was asking me uh, some of the cases I had, and, and I forget how he put it uh, with one of them, but it, it was a, he was asking me about this case. It was in Wilkinson County. It was a Kalen case that, you know, they were building the Fall Line Freeway. It was going through Wilkinson County. I was a lawyer for the Department of Transportation in Georgia and an outside firm doing the condemnation cases. And in Georgia, you you got to pay fair market value when you take someone's land. Well, in Wilkinson County, which is probably the most rural, poorest county in the state or one of them, uh, the people there realized that if you could get a case to go to a jury, the jury would award a lot of money to the landowners. It would drive up the value of the land in Wilkinson County. And as this road was coming through, more of them could get some money. And it became a, as this court case went on forever. I, I'd left practicing law and the case was still going on. And you wanted to avoid as best you could going to a jury in Wilkinson County when you were taking people's land over there because you knew you were going to get in crazy, 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 insane values. And I wonder about Wilkinson County because it's beautiful. If you've never been to Wilkinson County, it is it is God's country. It's beautiful. Very rural, uh, very pretty land. A lot of kaolin pits that have been turned into uh, fishing uh, bass ponds. And it's just, it's gorgeous. But they could use some help over there. And, and you get down into South Georgia, they could use help with infrastructure, with high-speed internet. And I'm wondering if there's a way to develop a tax credit like we do the Hollywood film tax credit uh, that gets that incentivizes businesses building infrastructure, particularly Internet infrastructure in areas like that, because a lot of companies probably wouldn't mind going there where the land is cheap. But they got to have an airport, which is why I think the middle Georgia needs to to beef up the middle Georgia regional airport in Macon. Uh, so people don't have to drive to Atlanta or Jacksonville or Savannah. They could drive to an airport in Macon and get out. Um, and uh, they need to have tax infrastructure. And, and North Georgia as well. But North Georgia, there's a more incentive up there. But also in South Georgia, you got easier land. You don't have mountains to flatten to build a distribution hub or something. That we got to think about this as a state. Uh, concentrating that much in Atlanta really is going to cause us long-term problems as a state unless we can figure out a way to get people back into rural Georgia, living there and building businesses there. Hello there. So, you know, I got to I gotta mention an issue that's happening up in North Georgia from the HAC. There's a hit job on Matt Gertler. 
Matt Gertler, of course, is running for Congress. He, he's my pickup in Doug Collins' seat, the 9th Congressional District. Uh, a Georgia state representative running for Congress is facing criticism from across the political spectrum for a photo showing him alongside a longtime white supremacist activist from Dahlonega. The photo shows Matt Gertler, a Republican from Tiger, Georgia, with Chester Doles, a Georgia man with longstanding ties to numerous white supremacist organizations, including the National Alliance and Hammerskins, a racist skinhead gang. It was taken earlier this year at a meeting of American Patriots USA, a group founded by Doles last year in an attempt to appeal to more mainstream conservatives in the region. Other candidates for office in Georgia also appeared in the photograph with Doles, though none as high profile as Gertler. The photo has been on the internet for weeks, circulated by a left-wing anti-racist group based in Atlanta, among others. Now Gertler has been called out by a rival Kevin Tanner, who just so happens to be the Speaker of the House's preferred candidate. David Ralston would much prefer Kevin Tanner. Remember, Tanner is one of the Republicans who stood up and defended the Speaker during the Speaker's scandal uh, and has refused to ever uh, distance himself from the Speaker. In private, he's critical of the Speaker, and in public, he, he's ultimately supportive. Uh, talks out of both sides of his, of his mouth when it comes to Now, Gertler needs to come out forcefully on this. Let's be real here. Um, Gertler does need to come out and say something. Uh, the, the, there are a number of people up in North Georgia. Remember there was the rally last year. Um, it was the build as a pro Trump rally. I think it was the same group of people and it turned out Doug Collins was going to speak and a number of others were going to speak. And it turns out it was this, uh, racist group up there in Dahlonega that wanted to have this rally and the Republicans walked away. It was branded as a, um, as a make America great again rally or some such for the president. And it was only when the media started digging that they realized it was this guy. And uh, this guy was pressuring people to show up. Gertler needs to do something. And listen, uh, let me, let me speak directly to Gertler supporters. I'm with you. I like Matt. Um, one of the, one, I think one of Matt's strengths can also be his weaknesses. He stands up to his own side and he doesn't apologize. And that's good. Uh, and we need more like this one reason I like him. The problem is you get into a situation like this and you can look at it and say it's an unfair media hit job. And it is. It is. But you got to find a way around it. And the way around it isn't to brush it off. Uh, the way around it is to come out very forcefully and say uh, you disagree with racism and you disagree with white nationalism. And uh, you did not realize that's who you were associating with. And uh, you're moving forward because you believe we need a united America, which is why you are running for Congress uh, to unite all sides behind President Trump's agenda. But you can't just keep quiet on it because they're going to make this an attack. And you need to come out forcefully on it. And they know that Gertler, who likes to, he is a, a man on an island many times in the state house who consistently votes no against his own leadership, always votes no on budget stuff. In fact, one of the things Gertler's under attack for is it was a resolution in the state house that commended the president for the killing of Kasim Soleimani, and, and Gertler voted against it, and they're attacking him for that. And the reason he voted against it is because there was a bunch of other language in there with stuff he didn't approve of. Good for him for standing up. It was all sorts of stuff, commending George W. Bush's foreign policy and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that he didn't agree with, and, and he refused to do it. And they're attacking him for that, and, and that's a good one. I think he can stand up and say, look, 
did they not read the rest of this resolution? There was all sorts of stuff. Do, or do they really agree with the, the unending war and everything else? And he can make a case for this. But when you're hanging out with people who are white supremacists, at least come out and say, you, you didn't know. Not going to happen again, and you didn't know. It is very clear this is an organized attack, not just from the left, but also when you've got Kevin Tanner doing it, you know the speaker's behind it uh, because Kevin Tanner is the speaker's candidate up there, which is one reason you shouldn't vote for Kevin Tanner. If David Ralston likes the candidate, you probably need to not vote for that candidate. But Gertler needs to be firm on some of the stuff, and he, and he doesn't need to take a position of uh, not responding at all. And that's always a danger uh, with candidates is they decide you've got to be able to discern. And this is one thing I learned in politics a long time ago. You've got to be able to discern when the attack is an attack for the sake of an attack and when the attack is something you need to respond to. And there are occasions where the attack is an attack just for the sake of making an attack, but it becomes something you need to respond to. And in our present setup, given present conversations, hanging out with white nationalists is not a good thing. And that's going to be used against him not to impact terror in Georgia, but it's going to be used to impact him nationally with Republican and conservative fundraisers and get a number of people to come into the race against him, which is why he needs to be forceful against it now. Uh, now, there is less than a month until the election. If you haven't gotten your absentee ballot, you probably should. I haven't gotten mine and I need to. Uh, and a lot of people are asking about it. There is, hang on a second, there's a breaking news item happening now. Let's see. Election officials can begin opening absentee ballots eight days before Georgia's June 9th primary, according to a state election board rule approved Monday to deal with the deluge of mailed-in ballots during the coronavirus pandemic. The board voted unanimously today to pass the emergency rule, which will help election officials handle record numbers of absentee ballots. In previous elections, absentee ballots couldn't be processed until election day. Even though ballots can be opened in advance, election results in some races might not be known for several days after the primary because of the time needed to count the absentee ballots. It will take much longer to scan and count absentee ballots than it would on Georgia's new in-person voting system, which combines touchscreens and printed out paper ballots. So far, over 1.4 million voters have requested absentee ballots. Polls opened Monday for three weeks of in-person early voting. For this once-in-a-lifetime unprecedented emergency, this regulation painstakingly attempts to balance transparency and security, said Matt Mashburn uh, on the state elections board. The rule authorizes county election workers to open and scan absentee ballots in advance, but those votes can't be counted until polls close at 7 p.m. on June 9th. Until then, votes will be stored in the memory of optical scanning computers, the same as votes cast in person during early voting. So many people are planning to vote by mail as a way to avoid human contact at polling places. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the chairman of the state elections board, encouraged absentee voting by sending ballot request forms to the state's 6.9 million absentee voters. Voters said during public comments that they remain worried, especially in Fulton County, where tens of thousands of voters haven't received their absentee ballots. Fulton had processed 110,000 ballot requests through Saturday, with many more still being processed. Many counties have a backlog of absentee applications, and it appears hopeless we'll get our ballots in time for the presidential election. Garland Favorito, founder of the group Voter GA, who applied for his absentee ballot on March 20th, uh, but hasn't received it. 
Statewide, 1.25 million of the 1.44 million ballots requested have been delivered to voters, according to Secretary of State. More than 360,000 ballots have been returned and accepted by county election officials. This is one of the things that's going to happen is a whole lot of people are going to request absentee ballots and not actually cast them. Now, you do need to know in Georgia law, if you get an absentee ballot and you don't cast it and you decide instead to go to the polling place, your polling place vote will count and your absentee ballot will not. And if they record an in-person vote and an absentee ballot, your absentee ballot is going to get thrown out. So be mindful. Or here's the thing. If you absentee ballot shows up and the board has scanned it, and then you try to show up in person, you're not going to be able to vote. And I guarantee you we're going to see stories of people who voted absentee and then show up in person, and it says they voted absentee, and it's going to be played up as vote fraud. Someone cast this person absentee ballot, and nine out of ten times, because I've dealt with this as a lawyer, nine out of ten times, the person will have voted absentee and totally forgotten they voted absentee. We're going to see these stories. Let, let me explain this to you. I, I actually had this happen. It's my very first case as a lawyer. It was in uh, Taylor County, Georgia. It was an election defense case. Uh, the clerk of court had lost by 19 votes and was suing. And one of the people had voted absentee and then showed up in person. And they weren't allowed to vote because they said they'd been absentee. They had no record of it. Well, they were able to get, you've got to sign your absentee ballot application. And there was uh, there was no mistake. There was no vote fraud in, at all. Uh, this person had clearly signed their ballot application. It was clearly their signature. You did not need to be a handwriting expert to realize that this was an exact copy of the voter registration card. This person clearly had signed their voter registration card and had just simply forgotten uh, because they had gotten their absentee ballot so far before the election. They totally forgot they had done it. And they wound up being home that day and they showed up to vote absentee and, and they voted uh, vote and had totally forgotten they had voted absentee. And we're going to hear that. So many people play this up. Listen, y'all, I, I, I was an elections lawyer for six years. And I can tell you vote fraud happens. And I can tell you voter suppression happens. And I can tell you that neither has ever impacted an election. There will always be people who try to steal the vote. In fact, there were a couple of people arrested this past year for vote fraud. Uh, two of them, I, I say a couple, two of them were Republican. I think there was one Democrat, uh, but two of them were Republican. And there are efforts to suppress the vote. You, I, there have been efforts in the past. Democrats and Republicans both have done it. The Democrats would have you believe Republicans engage in a systematic campaign to scare people not to vote, and that's not true. It has become dogma on the left that this happens. The media believes it is true. It's not true. It's just, it's simply not true. But the Democrats and the media love to tell you that it's true and it's not true. Republicans, on the other hand, uh, want you to believe that uh, the Democrats engage in wholesale vote fraud. That Democrats could not win elections but for stealing the vote. That, that's not true either. And it annoys me that so many people do believe it. There are instances of vote fraud. And there are instances of voter suppression, and neither is actually an epidemic, and neither actually upsets elections. It's just like if you believe that there's no difference between a Republican believing Democrats engage in vote fraud to systematically try to steal elections, then there is Democrats believing the Russian stuff ballot boxes in Wisconsin to give the race to Donald Trump. That didn't happen either. 
And it just, if I sound annoyed, it's because I am, because I hear this all the time from people who should know better, uh, but it is people who are trying to whip you into a frenzy. It's like, for example, you, you know, one of my pet peeves, I got to write about this today, uh, that Laura Loomer person who, who's a, the, the, the crazy person running for Congress as a Republican in Florida, she's running in a district, she's not going to win. And she's convinced Republicans to give her poor money into her campaign. And then she's running ads on, on kooky Republican conservative-oriented websites that then tell people to support her that the race is going to be stolen from her. And so people give her more money and she runs ads on these sites and it becomes this grifty feedback loop where she can't win this race. This is a district that the Democrats, it's been gerrymandered for a Democrat to win. And yet I heard somebody on Fox News this weekend talking up her candidacy. She, she's, she has no business being in Congress nor being a Republican. She, she is an embarrassment to the Republican Party where she did get elected. And yet there will be people who take advantage of the grift machine and send her money thinking that, oh, she's, she's blocked on social media. She's being censored. We need to support her to help her get her message out. And she then puts ads on the websites that are then encouraging you to give her money. And so she's funneling money back to these other, other sites. It's a grift operation. It's a grift machine. Stop believing it. Listen, it's like Ilhan Omar. Remember the, so the, the, the goofy congresswoman from, from Minnesota. Some woman decides to run against her as a Republican. I don't think she even won her primary. Some woman uh, decides to, or maybe she dropped out. I can't remember. Uh, she, she puts up the slick ad campaign and people pour money into her race. It's like a D plus 20 district. I mean, Satan himself would beat Jesus. If, if the devil ran as a Democrat and Jesus ran as a Republican, the devil would win. If Jesus ran against anybody in a, as a Republican in that race, Jesus would lose the race. God himself could not win in that district against a Democrat because it is designed for Democrat. And the same with this race where Laura Loomer is. God himself could not win that district as a Republican uh, because the district is designed for Democrats to win. And yet you have these Republicans trying to convince you that, oh, yes, this is the one. This is the one who could do it. No, no. Stop wasting your money on these sorts of campaigns and candidates. It's not going to happen. And what's happening here is that so many, some of you are getting played by these candidates. You're feeling like, oh, I got to give this woman money because social media, they're censored because she's insane. And you send her money and then she buys ads on these websites that are promoting her. These websites promote her some more. You give her more money. She buys more ads. And guess who's getting rich? Everybody but you. And she's not going to win. And meanwhile, you could have been sending money to races where candidates actually have a shot at winning. And you need to do that. You need to support viable Republicans. Use some discernment. Man, uh, the, the, the grift machine is strong right now, and it, it infuriates me. And, and I guess I got to do some level of exposure for some of this stuff. It's just, it, it's, it's just frustrating to me to see the grift machine on the right uh, becoming such a major part of the conservative movement right now, uh, which causing good people to shell out money to help con artists and, and scammers and grifters and other bad people and charlatans get elected when they have no shot at getting elected. And meanwhile, you've got a series of solid, good Republican candidates out there running for office who actually need the money, but they're not part of the grift machine, so they're not getting the exposure they need. That's unfortunate. Uh, better you give money to Matt Gertler in North Georgia than give it to someone like Laura Loomer in Florida who has no shot at winning. Hello there. Um, can, can I... 
raise an issue. When can we have sports back? It looks like we may actually get college football in the SEC. You know, some the West Coast, not that anybody cares about the West Coast teams and the California schools, but they're thinking they may suspend college football. I think the SEC and the ACC are going to go for it. And those are the only ones that matter. I mean, the SEC is really the only one that matters. Yeah, okay, Georgia, yeah, no, we just, we need the SEC football. What What if we just had, what, what if this year, because we've got southern states willing to reopen and, and a lot of the, the, the northern states are not, what if we just had an SEC football year? So all of the teams play each other in the SEC and, and that becomes our sports. I mean, the SEC teams would make all sorts of money off of it. But we could totally do this. Or, or, you know, the president's talking about bringing golf back, and that'll mean no crowds and uh, the, no no masks, but no crowds. I, I'm willing to take one for the—I've got master's tickets. I'm willing to take one for the team and, and not be able to go this year just so—and I don't even like to watch golf on TV, but I'm ready to go. I still keep thinking I need to go join the Brickyard here in, in near me and so I can take my son to hit golf balls because he wants to do that. We've been going with Philip Fishin, uh, and and he wants to hit golf balls too. I need to hit golf balls. It's good therapy. I'm going to the gym today, by the way. It reopens today, and I'm going to go. But we, we need sports ball of, of various kinds. We, we need football. We need baseball. It looks like baseball is going to open, and by God, they're going to do it. They're going to ban spitting. Yeah, sure enough. Uh, Major League Baseball is announcing plans to reopen. Uh, there are going to be ways to reopen. They're going to keep people at a distance. They're going to limit crowds, if no maybe no crowds, and no spitting by the players, and no showers. Apparently, you won't be able to go to the showers in, in Major League Baseball, which kind of makes no sense. But nonetheless, uh, no spitting, no showers. But you will have baseball at some point coming soon. Uh, if they can get the players to go along with it, and it looks like most of them will. Football, too. The NFL will come back, and they may have to limit crowds and, and health and all that sort of stuff. They may have to take take precautions, but finally it'll come back, and we can do something besides politics. You know, I, I do think part of the angst in the country right now is that every conversation is about the virus and the political ramifications of the virus, and there's nothing to distract us. You can't go to the theater to watch a movie because the theaters are closed. If you go to the bowling alley, you're reminded of how different life is because all the lanes are separated and, and all the precautions that have to be put in place for that. It's just, it's hard to go about and people just want to have a sense of normalcy. I saw someone else, I saw someone over the weekend said they were already tired of the phrase, the new normal. And I agree. It's a tiring phrase, but it's also reality. But my goodness. Surely, we need to get a semblance of life back together, and that includes various sports. I don't watch golf on TV. I will watch golf on TV. I will watch a football game, a soccer game, a baseball game. And, you know, I, I watch baseball games, but it's way more fun to actually go to the stadium. If I could get into a stadium, I would. If I had to wear a mask and gloves to go, I think I would do it. Just some semblance of normalcy. And having college football back, I like college football more than the professional football. I always have. I like college football. And I rarely get to go to games. I have friends who invite me to Georgia games all the time. And, and I need to go at some point. And it'll certainly be a different experience. 
And maybe they won't be able to have have crowds. Maybe you'll have to tailgate and socially distance the crowds around Athens tailgating near the game without actually going in. They could certainly do something like that. People socially distance at their tailgating and not actually going into the stadium together. You could make it happen. But we got to do something. And look, if if the the Pac-10 and 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 all the the other other conferences they don't want to go back, at least let the SEC play. And and maybe let the the SEC West and the SEC East play each other in in games along the way and and do a big thing. But bring back college football, please, this year, and baseball and golf even. And let me go play golf and and just. Get some level of distraction from politics out there. Please, America, please. When we come back, we got to talk about the spending bill in Congress. Well, this is kind of funny seeing things go full circle. Uh, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, Tommy John. Uh, and it, I, I want to welcome him. And it's, it's funny that things go full circle because I first heard about him on a podcast and decided I was supporting a friend who had a podcast and would order them and use his discount code and actually wound up liking them enough uh, that I now regularly get Tommy John. Uh, It is underwear and it is great underwear. And you know, you're working from home. They've got all sorts of great underwear and they've got great ready to wear stuff. And right now you can shop Tommy John's Memorial Day sale and get up to 30% off site wide. You treat yourself an upgrade to a few pairs of Tommy John underwear and the softest, most breathable fabrics you've ever worn. Tommy John obsesses over every little detail and stitch by using proprietary fabrics that perform like nothing you've ever worn before. All of their loungewear and legging are built for next-level comfort. I can attest to this as someone who actually has been wearing this stuff for a while, uh, even before they were a sponsor. And it, it is, again, kind of funny because I decided I would support them and buy from them to support a friend's podcast and now became a regular in my household. And right now, you can shop the Memorial Day sale at TommyJohn.com and get up to 30% off site-wide with code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. That's ERIC. For up to 30% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com. See the site for details and try it for yourself. Do like I did. You can support the podcast by buying from them, and then you'll keep buying from them because it really is great. Uh, TommyJohn.com slash Eric. Welcome. Hello. It's Eric Erickson, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So glad to have you with me this morning, uh, raining around parts of the state. It, it's a dreary, humid day, and it's going to cool back down and then warm up. It's, weather cannot make up its mind in any event. Justin Amash is no longer running for president, so he was running and then decided uh, he shouldn't run. I, now, I, I don't know why you do that. You announce you're going to explore running for president and then say, nah, my bad, not going to do it. My, my, I'm, I'm looking in on, on a chat that I'm a part of, and my theory is that he saw the polling showing that he actually was helping the president, and he's more interested in the president uh, losing than not. I, I, just a, a, a word real quick. I, I want to talk about the House spending bill, but just real quick. Yes, it is true. That at the state level polling now, not in the national polling, but at the state level polling, Joe Biden leads the president outside the margin of error in most polls. If the election were held today, Joe Biden would win. Uh, Pollsters have caught on to the fact that in 2016, they were largely misled by polling because the race was so close within a margin of error and they weren't compensating for New York and California. They're not going to make that mistake again. 
And I realize that we will get to the end of the year and uh, we will see an election and the polling will largely align with the results and people will still say the polls were wrong. Uh, But if the election were held today, Joe Biden probably would win and Republicans probably would lose the Senate. It is that bad of a situation. Uh, The issue here, though, is that the president still has plenty of time to maneuver. We should not be screaming saying the polls are wrong. We should look at what the polls say and and adjust accordingly. And the American people want to see clear leadership on the pandemic, and they want to hope that the economy recovers. And if it does, the president wins. And that's why so many Democrats are talking down the economy. And the Democrats are giving the Republicans a gift, and it is a gift we need to talk about. Uh, Before we talk about it, there is an aspect of it, the payroll protection program. And you need to know First Liberty of Georgia, First Liberty Building and Loan, uh, still has the bandwidth to help you get into PPP if you need it, if your business is hurting. Interestingly enough, the applications for PPP are starting to slow down, which is why there's still money available. And that's a good thing. Uh, But First Liberty Building and Loan can help you get into the program uh, if you need to get into it. Uh, What you do is you go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website. And there are two buttons. Both say apply now. Click on either one. One is blue and one is red with white letters. And you click on it. And you can apply right there on their website to get into the payroll protection program. Uh, But you need to go there now. We don't know when the money's going to run out. And the SBA, the Small Business Administration, isn't saying how much money is left. So get on in there if you need money. Uh, Don't procrastinate. I keep hearing from people waiting. Don't wait. And you know, if you maintain your payroll, it becomes a grant. You don't have to pay it back. Uh, First Liberty can't guarantee you get into the program, but they're certainly going to try. So so get on in there if you can at firstlibertyga.com. Now, this program, I mean, it is the gift that keeps on giving for Republicans because, I mean, the House Democrats, first of all, this is a messaging bill. We know it's a messaging bill because they didn't even try to reach across and find uh, Republican support. And uh, they're they're trying to put lipstick on a pig in the press to try to justify what it is. It includes uh, payouts for illegal aliens student loan waivers and and student loan forgiveness and state and local government assistance, hazard pay for frontline workers, which is good to a degree, but one of the problems is that unemployment benefits extension. They want to extend unemployment benefits to 2021 because they do not want you going back to work and helping the economy rebound uh, until Joe Biden is president. Uh, and they don't want to get, they want to give more stimulus checks, but they don't want to give a bigger money. They want to bail out the post office. This is a grab bag for special interest, and and Republicans are starting to mock it. Here's Senator John Kennedy on Fox. Tell me about this $3 trillion uh, bill. Your colleagues in the House have passed it. Why do you say it's as dead as fried chicken? It's $3 trillion, for one thing, every penny of which we would have to borrow. That's three zero 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 dollars. Um... It's not going to pass the Senate, nor should it. My fellow Republicans in the Senate have tried to see things from the speaker's point of view, but we can't get our heads that far up our rear ends. And I think uh, any fair-minded American would agree once they read the bill. There are things in this bill that have nothing to do with coronavirus, Senator, and uh you know, you have to wonder, I mean, maybe they're saying let's not waste a crisis opportunity, but money so that marijuana companies can do banking, money for illegals coming into the country and having services. I mean, the list goes on. Tell us what you see as the uh, the, the most uh, sort of damaging here in this bill that is not helping anybody related to coronavirus. Well, it's not a coronavirus bill. 
as much as it is a, uh, a an effort by the speaker and her colleagues to uh, re, re, uh, rewrite the rules for American society. Uh, this bill, her bill, would rewrite our immigration laws. Her bill would federalize elections. Our elections have always been run by states and local governments. Her bill would begin the process of federalizing the elections. It would allow federal prisoners to go free. Um, it mentions dope more than it talks about jobs. I think it, it references cannabis like 68 times. Uh, it would expand Obamacare. And let me end as I began. It would cost $3 trillion. That's $3,000 billion. We just spent $3 trillion. We need to see how that works first. It is notable that there's still money out there in PPP and the Democrats want to pour more money into it, which for small businesses, that's not a bad thing, except there's all sorts of bailing out money in there that we're just having a hard time finding the money. And, and there's a real problem there. Now, here's Adam Kinzinger as well. So, look, all this is is, you know, it's disappointing because we've done four or five coronavirus related bills that were all bipartisan. Uh, you know, we can go debate them and all that kind of stuff. But at the when it's all done, we, we do a bipartisan thing. This is not that this is. Uh, November focus. So what she wants to do, for instance, there was a repeal of the state and local income tax deduction that gives her blue state vulnerable Democrats the opportunity to say that they voted for that. You know, that affects you. And then, by the way, your opponent probably wouldn't have. And, and so what you've done is you've taken a bill that she knows is going nowhere and she's made it a political weapon for November. We need to resist, you know, following suit of using this pandemic as political weapons, and we're doing that for the most part, but they, they can't help themselves, and, and that's what that was. It was a disappointing, not real attempt to govern and help the American people that need it really badly. And notice how the media has characterized this. So much of the American media rushed out to defend the Democrats' package and say this was progress uh, when it has no shot at passing the Senate because they didn't work with Republicans. It was a grab bag of messaging. There are such things as messaging bills in, in Congress, and a message bill is one that has no intention of passing because it can't get the votes needed, uh, but it's designed to put you in the best light and your opponent in the worst light. The Republicans did this all the time as well, and the media went, oh, this is a messaging bill. They're just trying to make the Democrats look bad. Well, here comes this, and the media's like, oh, my goodness, they're, they're willing to do it. But you know there's one thing the Democrats aren't willing to do. They're not willing to push for reopening the economy. In fact, they want to keep the $600 weekly unemployment benefit going to keep people from going back to work and then blame the president for the economy not actually getting back to work. This is going to come back to bite the Democrats. I, I really do believe that this is the way – uh, that the Republicans can angle the Democrats or, or position the Democrats, corner them on the economic recovery. Even Rahm Emanuel is suggesting as much. Remember, Rahm never let a crisis go to waste Emanuel. He was Barack Obama's first chief of staff and then the mayor of Chicago. Well, look, here's what I would say about what Chris said is he's basically saying that the White House is too much about conflict and not enough about compassion. And I would agree with him on that. And I think on the Democratic side, I'm messaging, we look a little too much messaging too much about resistance, about reopening, too much about reluctance about reopening, and we should go to a message of rebuilding America. To, if the president wants to talk about reopening, we want to talk about rebuilding America and the relief. Let's take the unemployed. If you're unemployed in the service sector, JCPenney, some of these others, those jobs aren't coming back. So we're going to give you a coupon. 
go become a computer coder in six months. We'll pay for it. You don't have to pay a penny out of your pocket. Go become somebody in cybersecurity in six months and get the certificate. We, the country, will pay. So when we emerge out of this, we have rebuilt America. America never lost a challenge by investing in America and Americans. And that should become the democratic mantra. It's too much reopening or reluctance and resistance. We have to go, you want reopening? We want rebuilding. Rebuild our infrastructure right now. Rebuild the skills of America. That should be the tone which is affirmative. And I do think that if you have a national crisis, we need a national response, not 50 different responses. And there is an absence of leadership. And that, to me, is what's happening and what's wrong right now out of the White House. Too much energy on conflict, not about enough about what it takes to rebuild this country. Now, you can dismiss him on the partisanship over what is or is not coming out of the White House, but there's a message there for Democrats that they should take notice of. Rahm Emanuel, who was very successful in getting Democrats elected to Congress when he ran the, the um, what is it, the, oh, the DCCC Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Rahm Emanuel understands that the Democrats are in a difficult position where they increasingly sound like they don't want the economy to reopen. And if you don't want the economy to reopen, that means you don't want people going back to work. And I got to tell you, uh, there are a lot of people who are willing to take the 600 bucks a week, but increasingly I'm finding uh, encountering people who want to go back to work. Now, obviously uh, that's somewhat skewed the people who would reach out to me and say this, but uh, there are a lot of people out there who are willing and able and want to go back to work. And they they don't care about the $600 a week, but there are a sizable portion of people who would rather stay on the sidelines because they're making more money. And who can blame them? The government is incentivizing you not to go to work. And for a time, that was good. Well, we needed a shelter in place to what? Flatten the curve. The curve is flattened. People need to go back to work now. Plenty of time has built up for us to find a path forward. By the way, part of me does really wonder if one of the things that's happening with the attacks on Brian Kemp from the media is that they're rooting against a path forward because they want to keep things closed down, not to stop the virus, but to stop Trump. I mean, listen, y'all, I'm I'm sorry, but I am totally now in the camp that, uh, and you're seeing more and more Democratic partisans being willing to admit it, they're blaming Donald Trump, they're making it Donald Trump's economy, Donald Trump's economic class. I, I, I saw one of the Democratic uh, activists the other day, he leads one of the outside groups for Joe Biden, saying that, that Donald Trump wrecked the Obama-Biden economy. No, it was China that did it. But you point that out, they label you a racist. So the GOP's got to do something. And I, I think making this race about China and trying to plot a fat path forward, I, I think at this point the president and Republicans need to put a spotlight on Brian Kemp and say, be like that guy. Now, if the virus rebounds in Georgia, absolutely, uh, the media is going to play it up. You know, I got to tell you, one of my, my one of my fears is that people get so comfortable and lower their guard enough and the virus does sp- start spreading again. Now, there's hope. There is hope because as it warms up, it does look like the virus will, won't spread. But there's always a chance right now and and we got to be careful we got to be on our a game we got to make sure that we're doing what we can do to make sure the virus doesn't spread 
and then put a spotlight on a guy like Brian Kemp. Say, be like this guy. He was the first governor to come out and say, we're going to reopen. Do it. I think, I, I look, I think there is an opportunity there. I think that we have an opportunity as a people to figure out a path forward, to reopen the economy, to win the November election on the basis of an economic rebound. And by pointing out it was China that got us into this mess, the Democrats are too scared to deal with the issue of our day. China is the issue of our day, and the Democrats would much prefer to scream racism than actually confront that issue. We got a path forward to beat the Democrats in November. It is going to take extraordinary discipline that the president doesn't have to stay on message, but a lot of other Republicans can amplify the message. So it doesn't matter what the president does. The GOP will be on a winning ground. They've just got to do it. Unfortunately, I do think there are some Republicans out there who also are super sympathetic to the Chinese, and they don't want to do it. We need to root those people out and push them out of the party, if nothing else. Well, something new has come out in the Ahmad Arbery situation. By the way, I, I got to tell you, so on the Ahmad Arbery situation, I have been added to a list, an email list by a group of neo-Nazis and white supremacists. And on a daily basis, I get just really explicit hate mail now for speaking up on the Ahmad Arbery situation. This is the uh, guy in uh, Georgia who was gunned down. It was caught on tape. A local law enforcement did not arrest the two shooters under instructions from the local district attorney, or so we're led to believe. Well, uh, Lee Merritt, an attorney down in uh, Brunswick, uh, has there's new video out. It appears that Ahmad Arbery wasn't really jogging. Uh, even Fox News in this article says he's a Georgia jogger gunned down. Well, it appears actually uh, that he was being chased. Uh, Lee Merritt, lawyer, who keep in mind he represents Ar Arbery's family, uh, shows new video. It shows William Bryan, Gregory McMichael, and Travis McMichael chasing Ahmed Arbery for several minutes in Satilla Shores uh, near Brunswick before opening fire. My goodness gracious. Um, so uh, Gregory and Travis McMichael have been arrested, uh, charged with felony murder and aggravated assault in Arbery's death earlier this month. Uh, the GBI was called in to investigate only after the initial video was leaked. It took the GBI fewer than 48 hours to make arrests. I can't answer what other agency did or didn't see, but I can tell you that based on our involvement in the case, considering the fact that we hit the ground running Wednesday morning within 36 hours, we secured warrants for two individuals for felony murder. I think that speaks volumes for itself and that probable cause was clear to our agents pretty quickly. Attorneys for both men said last week there's more to the story than meets the eye and that evidence would come out in a courtroom clearing both men, though they declined to answer what that evidence might be. Unlike the McMichaels, Bryant was not arrested. Bryant is the man who, who uh, had the initial cell phone video. Merritt, uh, Lee, Lee Merritt and Arbery's mother have called for his arrest. Bryant has claimed he was a good Samaritan by filming Arbery's death, though that description has come under scrutiny. If he were a good Samaritan, he would not have honked his horn. It's worth noting that on the video, he doesn't even flinch. He doesn't gasp. Shot after shot, he simply takes it in, uh, says Lee Merritt. Um, and then there are others asking why you would videotape it. Ah. Um, I, I, I got I, I to gotta 
tell you that it's it's notable how the pushback in defense of the McMichaels has largely come from people who identify themselves as white nationalists and white supremacists. And it's actually encouraging that so many people, regardless of race, regardless of politics and ideology, are outraged by what happened. Um, if you spent four minutes, you, you know, the Georgia Supreme Court, let me give you this. The Georgia Supreme Court has a case about citizens' arrest. Let me give you the facts of this case. A, a criminal broke into someone's home. That someone was home and picked up a bat and confronted the burglar. The burglar fled and the victim chased the burglar down the street with a baseball bat. The victim was charged with a crime of assault. The burglar was charged with burglary. The victim was charged with assault. The victim was found guilty of assault. The burglar was found guilty of burglary. The victim pled that it was self-defense and it was a citizen's arrest he was attempting. And the case went to the Georgia Supreme Court and the Georgia Supreme Court said that chasing the burglar down the street with a baseball bat was not a citizen's arrest. In this case, we're even further removed from any potential burglary. It was not a burglary that happened to the McMichaels, to their property, or that day. And they chased Ahmad Arbery down and shot him to death. And now they want to claim it was an attempted citizen's arrest. Under Georgia law, it does not apply as a citizen's arrest. It just doesn't. And I realized the McMichaels, they are entitled to a defense and they are entitled to lawyers. And the lawyers they hired are from Macon. I know them, uh, the Hogues, and they are brilliant lawyers. And they deserve a defense and we'll see what it is. But the the fact that it's the white supremacists who are out defending them, that they, they, it was self-defense. No, when you provoke the situation, you do not get the right to self-defense. That That's a, the law. Well, it, more good news out there. It appears New York has finally turned the corner on COVID-19. More and more states are. It, you know, it, it really is, it, it continues to amaze me how many people in the media are, are keeping Georgia at arm's length, waiting for an I told you so moment. And one of the realities here is increasingly that we're not going to have a virus in the way there a virus, a vaccine for the virus in the way someone here's Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed talking about this the other day. What economic reality do the American people need to be prepared for? Well, I, I would take a more optimistic uh, cut at that if I could. And that is uh, this is a time of of great suffering and difficulty, and it's come on us so quickly and with such force that you, you really can't put into words uh, the, the pain people are feeling and the uncertainty they're realizing. And it's going to take a while for us to get back, but I, I would just say this, in the long run, and even in the medium run, you wouldn't want to bet against the American economy. This economy will recover. It may take a while. It may take a, a period of time. It could stretch through the end of next year. We really don't know. Can there be a recovery without a reasonably effective vaccine? Assuming there's not a second wave of, uh, of, uh, of the coronavirus, I think you'll see the economy recover steadily through the second half of this year. For the economy to fully recover, 
people will have to be fully confident, and that that may have to await the arrival of of, of a vaccine. So there's a problem. Uh, here's Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He used to be the head of the FDA, highly respected by all sides on his commentary on this. Uh, you heard Secretary Azar say hundreds of millions of people, 300 million doses of a vaccine by January. Is that realistic? Well, first, we have to remember that uh, the doses probably um, we have to cut it in half because many of these vaccines, and Sanofi has already spoken to this, you're going to probably need two doses of the vaccine. So whatever supply we have, is probably sufficient to actually dose and inoculate about half the number of people. I think our expectation should be that we're going to have millions of doses of vaccine available in the fall to do large phase three clinical trials, uh, maybe low tens of millions of doses if multiple manufacturers make it through phase one, phase two studies. And we might make them available under an emergency use authorization if we do have outbreaks or an epidemic in the fall for certain high risk groups. Another thing to consider is that these vaccines may not be completely protective. What they may do is prevent you from getting COVID the disease um, and from getting severe pneumonia, but you may still get the infection. So you may still be able to get and transmit the infection, but you just won't get as sick. And that may be how these vaccines ultimately are used. And so what you might do in that situation, if we do have an epidemic, is use the vaccines on people who are really hot at high risk of a bad outcome, like people maybe in a nursing home. But I think our base assumption should be that we'll have millions of vaccines, maybe low tens of millions of vaccines, if multiple manufacturers are successful in those early studies. So you may have a vaccine, but it may not actually stop you from getting sick. It may just stop you from getting bad sick, or it may stop you from getting sick, but you still get the virus and you spread it to other people. Uh, um, okay, one more, Tom Inglesby. And very quickly, very quickly on a vaccine, we hear this 12 to 18 month timeline. Is that timeline too optimistic we know the president wants it sooner and and you know why wouldn't he why wouldn't anybody want it sooner is the 12 to 18 month timeline realistic or not well uh, coming into this year i would have said it was completely unrealistic and i still think that there it is it is uh far from a sure thing but given that there's that there are now 110 vaccine projects going on around the world that all the major vaccine companies in the world are are working on this in some way and given that right. Tony Fauci and Monsef Slawi are now leading figures in the U.S. in this project, and they both believe it's possible, I think it is possible, but everything would have to break in the right way, and there are many ways that it might not work. So I don't think we should bank on it, but we should hold out some level of hope that if everything goes in the right direction, we could possibly be see, see vaccine by the end of the year. So it's good and it's bad at the same time. So we, we may have a vaccine. We don't know if we'll have a vaccine. We may, of course, uh, not be able to get the economy regoing until there's a vaccine. And if we have a vaccine, it may not do everything we want it to do. Lots of mixed messages out there. But again, there's so much about this we don't know. The president has launched Operation Warp Speed. Man, the Trekkies are, are uh, uh, upset. Uh, that he's chosen to to phrase it as Operation Warp Speed. You leave Star Trek out of this. Y'all, I love Star Trek, but it's ridiculous that people are outraged by it. It is amazing to see uh, capitalist free market economies rapidly mobilizing to deal with a vaccine and try to develop a vaccine, even beyond the, the Bill Gates conspiracy theorists out there. And there are, man, good Lord, are there Bill Gates conspiracy theorists out there. I am. I, listen, y'all. Uh, Bill Gates is not trying to build a vaccine uh, that will make him rich. The man is rich enough. He is spending his money. You know. So let, let me let me back up here. 
because on a daily basis now, I get Bill Gates conspiracy theories. There is a law that private foundations funded by billionaires must spend 5% of their earnings each year. So whether you're talking about the Ford Foundation, the Tides Foundation, the Bill Gates Foundation, the the, uh, the, the, the you name it, the Warren Buffett Foundation, whatever, they have to spend 5% each year of whatever they've earned. They've got to spend 5% of their money. And what a lot of foundations do is they only spend 5%. See, some foundations are designed to last forever, and their donors, the billionaire donors, couldn't get immortality, so they get it through funding a foundation. And that foundation takes their millions or billions of dollars and only spends 5% per year. And some of these foundations are refusing to spend more than 5%. So there have been a lot of calls for some of these uh, technology-backed foundations to step up and help find a cure, and they won't spend more than 5%. The Gates Foundation has basically said to heck with this 5% rule, and they are wiping out Bill Gates's fortune to try to find a cure. Now, Bill Gates in and of itself has a personal fortune outside of his foundation uh, that makes him one of the three richest men on planet Earth. And his money is separate from his foundation money, although he can write more checks to his foundation. But his foundation is blowing through the 5% cap to find a cure. And because of Bill Gates' success and his willingness to get involved, conspiracy theorists have cropped up. They want to believe the worst of the man. If the man did nothing, they would believe the worst. And if the man did something, they would believe the worst. They're trying to time to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, he's got pictures of him and Jeffrey Epstein. Now, there aren't actually any substantive ties to him and Epstein. It appears that he and Epstein appeared together uh, at an event. Their picture was taken. Uh, Gates says he didn't know who the guy was at the time. He regrets uh, being there, et cetera, et cetera. But, of course, there's now a Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy involving Bill Gates. Uh, People want to believe the worst in other people. They want to believe the conspiracy about Bill Gates as opposed to looking at this man who has billions of dollars and is spending his personal fortune to help find a cure. Oh, well, no one would do that unless there was a way for them to make the money back. All of these people who think altruism is real uh, in theory, in practice, don't really believe it. Bill Gates can't be spending this money unless he's going to get something out of it. Uh, That says more about the people who believe this stuff than it does about Bill Gates. It it always, when you believe the worst in someone immediately, that's your default presumption, is you believe the conspiracy and the worst about someone. That actually says something about your character, not them. And he is stepping up and he's trying to find a cure. And and one of the, the, the brilliant things he's doing is he's funding seven different projects. And the thing that the Gates Foundation is doing that is actually really good is they're not going to hold on to the patents. See, this is this gives the lie to the conspiracy theory here. They're not going to hold on to the patents. They come up with the vaccine. The Gates Foundation doesn't want to get rich off the vaccine. They just want to find the vaccine. So Gates has essentially started seven manufacturing facilities to manufacture a virus. And whichever one works, they'll keep going. And the others, they'll shut down the other, other factories. That, that That's genius. It's something you or I can't do, and we should be applauding it instead of coming up with kooky conspiracy theories about Bill Gates. 
Now, does Gates want to do weird things like like uh, global tracking of the virus and people? Yeah, he does. He's a billionaire, and they have weird ideas. And and just because I I will defend him on the vaccine doesn't mean you got to defend him on everything. Some of the stuff he wants to do is rather dumb. It, it's a tone deaf billionaire who is sheltered from the real world. But we should applaud him for trying to find a cure, and we should applaud governments and and private companies for rushing forward. And you know which you know which country we don't hear in the mix here, China. We don't hear a rush of China trying to come up with a cure. In fact, what we hear is that Chinese, the Chinese are trying to steal the research off servers and do it themselves and then patent it. Remember, remember the remdesivir conspiracy theory that, that apparently it had been patented in 2005, that remdesivir by Gilead Science had been patented in 2005 to deal with COVID-19? It's a kooky conspiracy theory that that misunderstood how patent laws work. Uh, so remdesivir was created by Gilead Science to deal with Ebola and SARS. And the Chinese stole the chemical formula for remdesivir and then tried to patent a COVID-19 cure using remdesivir and calling it by a different name. So Gilead Science had to go in and amend its patent application for remdesivir to include COVID-19. And the way a patent amendment works is it amends but keeps the date of the original application because you don't want the application date to jump forward because China filed its on January 15th. Remdesivir filed its on January 25th. Well, China's application would come ahead of of Gilead Science even though China stole Gilead's formula. So Gilead had to backdate its changes to its 2015 original patent. Well, the conspiracy theorists who believe that Bill Gates is, is trying to, to poison us all or get rich of all of us also said, oh, look at this. They patented remdesivir in 2015 to fight coronavirus. Well, no, they just amended their application. But under patent law, the application date doesn't change even when you amend it. But people got that and they twisted the little facts. All the people wanting to believe the conspiracy theories. It, it really is amazing to me how that the Internet has made conspiracy theories go mainstream and has attracted an audience for conspiracy theories in a way that uh, or is, is generally unhealthy, but now they can amplify them. And it really is just interesting to me to see so many people gravitate towards the conspiracy theories in ways that are deeply unhealthy but yet uh, now, you know, you you push back on them like I, I'll push back on the Bill Gates thing. Says, well, you know, he really does want to do some sort of worldwide global. Trade. Yes, but we don't have to go along with that. And our government wouldn't go along with it. But we shouldn't condemn the man for trying to find a vaccine. The little nitpickers, um, nut pickers and nitpickers. You've got the people who they want to quibble with one little detail in the story as if that will bring down the whole story. This is, you know, facts are not houses of cards. You don't bring down facts by quibbling with one little detail that someone might have gotten wrong. It doesn't bring down the whole whole factual paradigm. But some people believe it does. It, people have lost the ability to think for themselves. 
Uh, it just it, it's it's sad to see. But nonetheless, this is the world we live in, uh, where people would rather believe a conspiracy theory than believe the truth. Because you know, nine times out of ten, the truth is way more boring than the conspiracy theory. And people believe life has got to be complicated and exciting, and so you peddle a conspiracy theory. They're like, "Wow, oh, that must be so. That explains so much." No, actually, what explains it more is that people are stupid. And if you just recognize that people are stupid, you explain that you understand the world in a way better way than, than if you believe that there's some imaginary, grand, elaborate conspiracy theory out there this there's really not there's the world is really not as exciting and as full of sinners you know that's why i'm a conservative is because i want as few sinners in charge of me as possible and yet you got so many people out there who want to believe the the illuminati because you know i once I, I so i was once involved with a project can i say yeah i can i can't tell you who this is with because there, there's a a big media thing out there but i was once involved in a project and I decided it wasn't a good fit for me and needed to get out of it and I actually had the CEO of the company call me and, and explain to me that the reason he was building his project that I was involved with was because of the Rothschilds and they were really were behind this one world government push and they had pushed out they had developed Bitcoin and it looked like it would undermine the Rothschild's banking empire. But actually what it was is it would allow the Chinese to control currency. And we needed to, to do what he was doing. It was a freedom of information project because we needed to undermine the Chinese and Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is truly the mark of the beast. And the Rothschilds were behind it. I kid you not. He actually went, that, went down that road. And I was flabbergasted that there was actually a human being, let alone a multimillionaire, who believed this stuff. It was insane. That was the moment I knew I had to get out of the project. It was crazy. And th th I mean, the guy was not joking. He really did believe the Rothschilds and the Chinese had perpetuated Bitcoin and Bitcoin was the real mark of the beast. I just people people believe stuff. Sometimes you think normal people and, and behind the scenes. I got to play you this little soundbite from Chris Wallace uh, over the weekend in a roundtable discussion about Joe Biden. One, I want you to weigh in on that. And I also want you to weigh in on another attack line that the president, President Trump, is using against Joe Biden, that at age 77, he is not up to the job of becoming president. I want to play a clip from one of those events from the studio basement in Delaware from Joe Biden's uh, home there in which he frankly mi mixed up the number of lives and jobs lost from this pandemic. Take a look. We're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today. Lives of millions of people, millions of people, millions of jobs. Don't you have to wonder how Joe Biden, after this long layoff, shut up, shut in, shut in, in his uh, basement in Delaware, how he's going to do once he gets back on the campaign trail, facing voters and also facing questions, lots of questions from reporters. You know, this is a problem that the Democrats are going to have to deal with. They, they don't. They don't think it's a problem, and, and they really do think that this is about Donald Trump and that uh, if people decide they don't like Donald Trump, and by the way, the poll is out there, and it shows that Joe Biden is winning right now. But when you delve, de dive deep down into the polling, 
you find that it's all about the virus. It's not actually about the president. Listen, there are a majority of Americans do not care for Donald Trump, but there is a significant portion of those who do not care for Donald Trump who will vote for him. The problem for the Republicans right now is the people who dislike both Trump and Biden are more likely to vote for Biden. But if the economy rebounds, it helps the president. And frankly, uh, pushing the idea that Biden is is too old and out to lunch and senile actually helps. This is why, you know, it, there was a huge profile of Stacey Abrams over the weekend in the Washington Post. They're trying to make it happen. They are trying to get Stacey Abrams uh, the vice presidential nomination for the Democratic Party. The national media has never had to deal with the vetting of Stacey Abrams. There's a there there, and it'll be problematic for her on a national campaign trail. And you've got Biden people upset that Abrams, the love affair the media has for Abrams, is overshadowing Joe Biden. But here's the thing, you know, the the Democrats say Donald Trump is is out of his depth and should have never been elected president because he lacked experience. Stacey Abrams has less experience than Donald Trump. That's just a reality. Stacey Abrams was a state representative in Georgia and lost a governor's race. It's kind of funny, by the way, to see a bunch of Democrats now saying, maybe, may, maybe Donald Trump, may, maybe he won't actually leave. Maybe Donald Trump will not actually uh, abandon the presidency. He'll declare the election null and void. And these are the same people who want Stacey Abrams, who has yet to concede the governor's race in Georgia. It just shows you how much of this is political opportunism. But the problem here with Abrams is that she outshines and outclasses Joe Biden, and that's one reason the Biden folks are having a hard time coming to grips with her being on the on the campaign trail with him. Here's Tom Perez, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee. So no, is the American people want a leader who is competent, a leader with integrity, a leader who can get us out of this economic mess. This comes down to trust. Who can voters trust to dig us out of this most difficult mess of our lifetime. This president got us into this mess and he has no plan to get us out of it. He pits states against states. That's not how you do it. Joe Biden is a steady hand at the tiller and that's why you see the American people trusting him on health care, trusting him to get us out of this crisis. Wait a second. Wait a second. Did he just say that the president got us into this mess uh, as opposed to China? Again, use China, but also uh, the polling shows that most Americans actually support the president more than Joe Biden when it comes to rebuilding the economy. They've got to make this an issue. And having Biden go with someone like Stacey Abrams, I think allows the president to make this an even bigger issue given Abrams' lack of success in the private sector other than her romance novels. I, I, I Listen, there's an angle here and the Democrats are going to walk into it. The question is whether or not the Republicans will actually go forward.